spiritual stability. That's the focus of today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. In a society that ebbs and flows the way ours does, it's always nice to come back to something that is solid, something that is sure, a foundation that is rock solid and immovable. And that is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Spiritual stability is what we're looking at today. We're in Philippians. It's there that we would invite you to join us as we continue with our series, Seven Steps to Spiritual Stability. Make it a point to join us today and be encouraged in Christ as we understand our stability is found in Him. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. If you turn over to Philippians chapter 4, if you look into Philippians chapter 4, we've been kind of working our way through this and uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, some stability that, that we all need in our lives and, and one of the, the ways that you can obtain this stability in your spiritual life. We looked at verses 2 and 3 of uh, chapter 4, and we talked about cultivating a harmony through love. In other words, just having a biblical love for one another as the body of Christ. And, and he mentions there are these two women who were having a problem, a disagreement of some sorts. It wasn't even probably anything that serious that they were disagreeing on, but it was serious enough for Paul to write their name in the letter. He wanted to encourage them to make reconciliation with each other and work this out. And he talked about an individual, in my text it says, true companion, um, which was probably um, somebody's proper name. He calls on this individual to help these women who labored with him. And he really wants them to cultivate this harmony through loving one another. And then in verse 4, and that's the first thing. If we can do that, if we can cultivate in our lives a love for one another, a biblical love for brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a, a form of stability in your life that you don't have otherwise. And the second thing he points out in verse 4 was rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. And we talked about this last week. And we talked about this is actually a command. He's commanding us to rejoice. And that's a hard thing to do. Have you ever walked up to somebody and just looked at them and said, Rejoice! When they're down, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to command somebody to do. But you notice, he doesn't just say rejoice. He says rejoice what? In the Lord. And see, that makes all the difference in the world. Because our stability and our spiritual stability specifically is really controlled by how we think about God. What do we think about God? How, who do we think God is? How do we think... What do we think about his attributes? What do we think about his personality, his, his makeup? You know, some of us were, were raised in, in certain faiths that taught us that God is angry. That God is an angry God and, you know, he wants his vengeance, his pound of flesh, that kind of a thing. So you better not cross him. And so you grow up in all those, whether maybe some of you grew up in a, in a very, uh, kind of from a very liberal background, where God is just ever all love. It doesn't matter what you do or whatever, you can never displease God. So, you know, your, your life, your morality is irrelevant because God will still love you because God is love. And you come from those two different perspectives and it kind of skews your view of God, of who God really is. And so when, we, when Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always, it's, it's a command and he wants us to know that, you know, more than anything else, you should have a burning in your heart. Because you know the, the King of Kings, the Savior. You know that He's died for you. He's given His life for you. 
And there should be a burning in your heart. In Luke 24, I think it's in verse 27, it says that as they were traveling along the road to Emmaus there, Jesus was talking with two of his disciples. And as they were traveling, Christ met them and he explained to them all these things, it says, concerning himself. And later in that text, it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, here's what they said, listen to this, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning with joy. They didn't even know why at that point. Because of the presence of the Lord there with them. That's what should be burning in our heart. We should have a joy burning its, its way through our heart every day. And it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on who God is. And if we can just get that through our head, boy, it makes life a lot more stable when you're trying to live out your Christian walk. If your Christian stability is based on your circumstances, you're in for a roller coaster ride. You really are. And so those two things he points out, a love for one another, maintaining that spirit of joy, and we talked about that last week. Well, I want to look at verse 5 today because... He lists a, a third thing here. And he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known to all men. I just want to focus on that, that little kind of phrase there. Let your forbearing spirit, some verses say, uh, some translations, be known to all men. What is forbearance? What does that mean? Well, this word in the original language is very difficult to define. It's, it's difficult to to define for a myriad of ways because you look in every commentary and they all kind of translated a different thing. Contentment, gentleness, generosity, goodwill toward others, all sorts of different things. Um, one commentator translated, and I think this is the best translation, he says, graciousness. Let your graciousness be made known to all men. Because that's kind of a, a Christian, there's a kind of a Christian emphasis in that word there of graciousness. So forbearance includes Another important element, obviously, humility. And so it has the idea of, of humble graciousness. Humility and graciousness will help us uh, keep a stable hand on things. Um, and I think that's important for a variety of reasons, but, but most of all, it's important because God wants us to live a life that's pleasing to Him every day. And the way to do that is to be stable in our spiritual life. And see, some, some people say that, well, that just means you let people walk all over you. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about at all. I think the humble Christian, the Christian who is gracious, is the person who was mistreated. They were misjudged. Maybe they were misrepresented. Maybe they even had their reputation ruined. But you know what? Their attitude is, you know what? I'm going to trust in God and I'm not going to hold a grudge against that person. I mean, that's, that's something the Spirit has to do. See, a person that has humble graciousness in their life doesn't demand their rights. They realize they don't have any. And you know what? You stop and you think God's grace to us was manifested in the very same way. You think of what Christ went through. Mankind abused him. They maligned him. They beat his body till it was almost unrecognizable. Yet all along, he deserved none of that. See, if that were to happen to you or I, we would deserve it because we're sinners. But Christ was a sinless Lamb of God. And they treated this sinless Lamb of God 
as if he had committed every sin by everyone who would ever believe in his name, yet not ever having committed even one sin. Talk about being mistreated. And his humility and his graciousness allowed him to follow through with the Father's plan. And yet he still reached out while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He reached out to us, even though we weren't worth. When we look at it, you know, this, this, we're, there's no way we could live up to, to our calling. But you know what? In Christ, all things are possible. And, and God wants us to understand that when He calls us to be His own, when He calls us to be a, a, a brother or sister in Christ, a child of His, that it costs somebody something. And a lot of times we think of, well, grace, you know, it's free, it's a free gift. We, we teach that all the time. When you share the, the salvation plan, with the gospel plan with somebody, how many times do you say it's just a free gift? It's a free gift. All you have to do is take it. And that's fine because it is a free gift. But it wasn't really free. It doesn't cost us anything. It's kind of like the slogan that you hear, you know, freedom isn't free. That's so true. Freedom isn't free. I know several people who've lost limbs or been affected somehow by this, this war. And you know what? We're the benefits of that. But no, no way is it free. And when God sent His Son to die on a cross, you know, it cost Him His own Son. It's not like He had five more up there to choose from. No, that was His only begotten Son, the Bible says. And you stop and you think about it. You know, maybe you had something in your life that it was one of a kind thing. Maybe it was something that you just treasured greatly and you were called to give it up or maybe someone took it from you. How did you feel? I remember when I was growing up, my sister took me over to, to, to Europe when I was like 12 and we grew up in the Catholic Church and I remember going to, to Rome and Vatican City and all that and I remember having this little St. Christopher medal. I bought it in the gift shop there. My sister bought it for me. And I remember uh, one of the guys over there blessed it and boy, I just... You know, wore that thing all the time. And I remember one day we were up in the woods playing, my friend and I, and I got home that night and I was taking a shower or something, I realized it was gone. I mean, talk about a sick feeling in my stomach. I thought, whoa, whoa, what happened? You know, I looked all over the house. It was dark, so I couldn't go outside. I had to wait till the next day. I mean, I looked for weeks for this thing. Weeks! And I mean, even into my teenage years, I remember walking up this path where I think I probably fell off my neck somewhere. Still, I mean, this is like years later, still looking down thinking, gosh, what if I saw that little glimmer and I found this thing? Then I could, I, could, I could put it, the, you know, my mind would be at ease. I finally got this thing back. Why? Because it was special to me. It didn't have any power in and of itself or anything, but it was, it was a special little thing that, you know, meant a lot. It would still mean a lot to me, not religiously, but just as an heirloom that, that I got. That's the kind of idea when, when it says that God gave His only Son. It was very special to Him. And so when we, we stop and we look at what it means here to, to be gracious, to be humble, we have to stop and we have to look and model our gentleness, our humility after the Lord. The humble Christian, when they're done wrong, they don't retaliate. That's just the way it is. Now, beloved, I know that, I mean, I've done my share of retaliating, and I'm sure you have too, because that's the way the kind of people we are. You know, I'm sure you've demanded your rights as I've demanded my rights on occasion. Probably most of the time. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't make it right. 
doesn't mean that, okay, well, it's okay, you know. We should still model our behavior after Christ. Now, we say that, and then we stop and we look at our secular world in which we live. And it's totally the opposite. I mean, if you stop and you just think for a second, you know, if, if something makes you feel good, you know what? Uh, you can do it. It doesn't matter. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, you know, it's okay. Uh, that's the mentality that we have today. And, and I think that a lot of times we deceive ourselves and we think, you know what? My sin doesn't hurt anyone. After all, you know, my sin is paid for. And we almost presume on God. But you know what? The Bible says that sin always ends up hurting somebody. Always. It says your sin will always find you out. And I think that sometimes we forget that because we live in an age of grace. We live in a, uh, the, the, the church age is, is filled with grace. God is a very gracious God. He's not an angry God up there waiting for you to do something wrong so a big hammer can come down and just smash you like a little bug. That's not the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God who stretched his arm out wide and died on a cross so that we could have that new life that the Bible talks about. But today in, in our society and in the world in which we live, there's a lot of psychological, I call it babble, for, for lack of a better term. Because a lot of times we don't want to call sin, sin and all this, you know, it's, it's always kind of mixed up with all these, these other psychology and psychiatry and all that. And those are valid sciences. I'm not you know, putting them down. But when it comes to the spirituality of somebody, they offer little help. And my point is this, sometimes when the world is closing in on us and as believers we're, we're kind of maybe backed against the wall, you know, the person we need to go to is God. God, go to God first. And you know why I, I bring that out is because this verse says, let your gentleness, let your humility, let your forbearance be made known to all men. Forbearance isn't the kind of mentality that says, well, you know what, I got this problem and that's just it and that's the way I am. You know, I just need to love myself more. This one guy, Dr. Paul Brownback, observed that many of today's so-called Christian books contain more about self-love than they do about the scriptures. And that's true. See, in contrast to loving ourselves and, and having that kind of mentality, Scripture says that we're to be humble, we're to be unselfish. That's what he says in, in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. We've already gone through that. We're to, we're to love those who mistreat us, Matthew 5. We're to stand, extend mercy toward those who stumble repeatedly in 1 Peter 4, 8. See, that's what enables Paul to say down, if you just look down in Philippians 4, verse 11, it enables Paul to say, not that I can speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. To be content. Paul was content because of his forbearing spirit, not because of his circumstances. I mean, this poor guy was writing from prison. But some believers, they'll take in all they hear and they see and they filter it kind of in their minds to see if it wounds them in any way. And if it does, then they're a victim of this and you know the, the ball begins to roll. And when you begin to realize, you know what? I'm to be humble before the Lord. I'm, I'm not to be all about myself. To let this gentleness be made, made to all men. That's the contentment. It has generosity in mind. But more importantly, it has the idea of, of humbleness, graciousness. And I guarantee you, if, if we have that, just that attribute alone, that idea that we're going to look out for the interests of others more than we look out for the interests of ourselves, sailing is going to be a lot smoother in our lives. 
So he wants us to know that. Let this gentleness be made known to all men, even when they mistreat you. Next thing he shares in verse, the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. He says, The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. You know, not only do we have stability in our life if we have a love for one another and an attitude that rejoices in the Lord, not in our circumstances, and if we're humble before other people. But also, I think another aspect of this, we have to have confidence in the Lord. That's why he says the Lord is near. He's, he's kind of encouraging them. He's comforting them. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. That word there speaks of the presence of the Lord. When he says the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, it can refer to two things. It can refer to space or it can refer to time. In other words, I could say this microphone right here is near to me right now. What am I saying? In, in space, it's, it's near to me. But I could say Monday's nearer than Wednesday. What am I talking about? I'm talking about time. Well, what's he talking about here? If he was referring to chronological nearness, if he's talking about time, it might be a reference to the Lord's return. Could he be telling the Philippians, hey, the Lord's coming back pretty soon. After all, he did say that our citizenship is in heaven in verses three, chapter 320 from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Could be. Christ's return certainly would be reason for the believers not to be anxious. I mean, can you imagine if, if Jesus said he was going to come back tomorrow? Think of all the things that you could just check. I just don't even worry about your little checklist. I mean, wouldn't that be an incredible thing if God just gave you a word somehow and said, you know what, tomorrow at noon, I'm coming back for my church. What would you do between now and noon? To realize that tomorrow at noon, you're not even going to be here anymore. There are not going to be any more aches or pains. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord just like that. What would you do? What would you spend the next 24 hours doing? I don't think you'd go home and wax your car. I mean, you know, stop and think about it. I don't think you'd even go home and clean your house. Unless you're paranoid what people would find when you weren't there because you're gone. You know, maybe you're that kind of personality. I don't know. You know the kind of person. You know, when you hire a, a person to come in and clean your house. I tried this once. What I end up doing? I ended up cleaning the house before the cleaner person got there. You know, that's just my personality, I guess. But it kind of puts things in perspective. Is he talking about that? It seems a little impractical since Christ didn't return. And if he's speaking under the holy inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these people didn't see Christ return in their time. So I don't think he's talking about a, a time thing here. He might have been saying that believers would see the Lord soon because life is so brief. See, there's one way, two options, but either the Lord's coming back for us in the rapture as the church. That's what the Bible says when, when the fullness of times comes, he comes back for his church and the church will be taken up off the earth. That's one way to go meet the Lord. The other way, if you're a believer, is to die. And that's what James talks about. Our, our lives here are brief. They're like a vapor. Both of those could be part of what he's saying. But I think the the spatial nearness, the idea that God is near, like that microphone is near to me, is kind of the best understanding here. Psalm 119, 151, the Lord encompasses us with his presence, it says. Do you know that when you have a thought, the Lord is near enough to already know what it is? When you pray, the Lord is near enough to hear it. When you need his strength and his power, he's near enough to you as a believer to provide it. In fact, the Bible says that he lives in us. He's the source of our spiritual life. So he says, the Lord is near. 
Therefore, don't, don't be anxious about anything. How would your day change if Jesus signed on with you in the morning after breakfast and said, you know what, I'm just going to ride with you today. I'm going to be with you throughout the whole day. I'm going to be right here. Anything you need, you just ask. You think you'd start worrying about things? You think you'd, you'd spend the whole day with Jesus just worrying about your life and worrying what's going on and worrying about this and worrying about that? I'd probably say no. Why? Because he's the source of your life. Everything you have is directly from him. There'd be no reason to worry. See, in an awareness of God's presence keeps us from this, this anxiousness that causes so many problems, causes so much instability in our lives. And I think that we need to be reminded of that. It's one of those things sometimes that's hard to grasp. But God really wants us to, to understand that He is near with us. He's not some far-off God like a lot of religions have, you know, that you have to appease somehow. No, God is right there with us every day. He'll give them the ability to walk through whatever may come around the corner. That's why Paul, back to Philippians, says, be anxious for nothing. There's no sense in sitting around worrying about things you cannot control. And when we're fretting and when we're worrying, you know what it's doing? It's, it's indicating a clear lack of trust in God and in His providence for us. And we all do it. We all fall into that, that mode of worrying about this or worrying about that or worrying about the kids or the grandkids or family members. See, either you've created another God who can't help you <laughs> in your own mind, or else you believe God could help you, but he won't. Which means, if you have that idea, then you're really questioning his own integrity. You're questioning his word. And that's why Psalm 1-2 says, So delight in the Lord and meditate on his word. Know who he is. Know how he acts. Know what he does. Know what his word says. Then you can say, you know what? I know the Lord is near. The Lord is near me. I'm not going to worry about these things. It's not worth it. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that stability in our life does depend on how we look at these different aspects of the Christian walk. Whether it's having a love for one another or, or fulfilling the command to rejoice in you understanding you in, in a clearer way, understanding what you want for us every day, and, and Lord, yielding to you out of humility. Christ is teaching us, beloved, in that passage, to know and trust God, because that's the key to spiritual stability. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now to take a look at an event coming up, once again, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience. Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 6th, here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author, Cynthia Heald, for our fall women's tea. 
Cynthia uses her speaking engagements and Bible studies and books to encourage women around the world to deepen their relationship with God. I'm sure you're familiar with her popular Becoming a Woman of Bible Study series, which includes the best-selling Becoming a Woman of Excellence and Becoming a Woman of Freedom. The focus of our women's tea this year here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on October 6th will be her book, Uncommon Beauty, Seven Qualities of a Beautiful Woman. You know firsthand, ladies, how hectic the world can be today and the demands that are placed upon you. Well, we want to give you the opportunity to break away from your routine for just one Saturday afternoon and come together for some great fellowship and teaching based on God's Word. Why not plan on being here Saturday, October 6th from 1130 to 3 p.m. for a wonderful time of fellowship and teaching from Cynthia on uncommon beauty, seven qualities of a beautiful woman. I'm sure you'll enjoy the time together and walk away with a renewed sense of purpose and commitment to Christ. All the registration information can be found on our church website at gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available online. You simply download it, fill it out, and mail it to the address given with your registration fee. If you have any questions, you can simply call us here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. I'd like to encourage you to register early because we have limited seating. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for joining us here today on Graceful Truth. Until next week, God bless. God bless.